it should be. It's the first time we've tried this, and we'll see how it works. But I'm, I'm a little excited about doing it next Sunday, uh, our service up there at the park and at Camp Lackawanna, not Lackawanna State Park, not Lackawanna State Park. <clears throat> if you go to Lackawanna State Park, you can take your pan. <laughs> It'll just be you in the pan. <laughs> so anyhow, enjoy. So it's, it's summer, and so I've started a new series through the summer um, that we'll be doing called Tough Questions God Asks You. Tough Questions God Asks You. And specifically, uh, the questions that Jesus asks. And so uh, uh, I'm really excited about this series through the summer. There's some great questions that Jesus sort of po poses to people in his ministry. And um, so we'll be focusing on those through the summer, through the summer months here, starting with today. Uh, next Sunday at the picnic, we won't be, we'll be going on to a different topic, but then we'll be back with that the following week. So um, we're starting out with the question that I really felt led to start out with was the question where Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And how many of you ever said that to somebody? What do you want me to do for you? <clears throat> Usually uh, nobody. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> In my life, what I've discovered, when I say that to somebody, usually it's out of frustration, right? Like maybe somebody, you know, somebody may be in crisis or whatever, and, you know, I'm not really sure what they want from me. And so my question will be, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, Jesus doesn't ask this question out of frustration. He asks it because he is the God of all provision. And so when he says, what do you want me to do for you? He's not asking for an ulterior motive. He just actually wants to do. For you, and so this is a great question to ask. Uh, to, to picture Jesus saying that to us today, um, and and so as we do this, we're going to go in the Book of Matthew, chapter twenty, and we'll jump around in the New Testament to a couple passages that are very similar. Um, but remember that Jesus in his ministry, number one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote what's called the Synoptic Gospels, and so the stories go pretty similar through those Gospels, and then John wrote the Gospel of John sometime after theirs, it doesn't match up perfectly with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and that's because it's a different perspective. As well, even with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sometimes they'll tell the same story, but it comes through their perspective as well. And so there are some differences. And remember, Jesus ministered for about three and a half years. And so everything he did is not recorded in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says in the book of John, uh, uh, Luke writes, and he says that if we were to write everything that Jesus did, even a scroll, if it was as big as heaven, it wouldn't be big enough to hold it. So <clears throat> there's a lot that Jesus did through his ministry. And so today we're going to be looking at the story of a couple blind guys. <clears throat> All right. That's good. All right, so Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 29, uh, it says this. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Move with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. All right, so in this story, it's interesting because these blind guys had made their way to Jericho. And Jericho is uh, on the Jordan River in the, in the eastern part of Judea. 
And uh, it's known as the City of Palms. There's a lot of palm trees there. It's like an oasis. There's a lot of aloes that grow there. And, and Jericho was known for making its medicinal um, products there, especially for eyes. And so it's not uncommon to have blind people making their way to Jericho. It would be like you or I going to the uh, maybe Northeast Eye Institute or something or wherever we went to for, uh, you know, to have our eyes worked on or whatever. Of course, they didn't have medical science like we have today back then. So there were some, some uh, um, you know, mixtures that they made that were good for eyes. And so probably these blind guys had been into Jericho to try to get some work done on their vision. And, of course, it didn't work. And so uh, as they're sitting by the side of the road, Jesus happens to come by. And they begin to yell. They begin to make a commotion. And uh, the crowd is trying to, to, to shut them down and shut them up. And then finally, Jesus comes up to them and asks them this very pointed question, what do you want me to do for you? Now, these guys, at least they knew what they wanted Jesus to do. Uh, you know, like the guy at the, at the pool, uh, uh, when he was uh, uh, the lame man at the pool, when Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? The guy's like, hey, there isn't anybody to put me in the water when the angel troubles it. I mean, he didn't answer his question. And so often we sometimes sidestep the questions that Jesus asks us by making another statement or by asking a question back. And uh, the reality is these blind guys knew what they wanted Jesus to do. And so I want to challenge you with that. Do you know what you want Jesus to do? Number one, um, we have to get to a place where, and these blind guys understood this, that, that you know, the situation, the answer to the situation, uh, what they need is beyond them. <clears throat> do you ever find yourself in a place where you realize you are not able to do what is necessary to be done. How many of you have ever been to a place where it was beyond you? In fact, for some of us, we're there all the time, right? You know, I mean, it's bigger than us. I mean, a lot of things in my life are bigger than me. Uh, and, and so without God's help, I wouldn't be able to do these things. But, but, but God enables us way beyond our own, you know, our own pay grade. God gives us more than what we need. And so you have to come to a place where you realize that these things in our life are beyond us. There's much that we can control. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I, I put up what was called the control box, and the control box shows a little tiny square inside this big rectangle, and inside that square is the stuff you can control. And you can control the things you can control, but most things in life are beyond your control. You get into a car, you can control how you drive most times, right? But even then, if the weather's bad, if it's snowy, your card may skid, you know, and you sure cannot control what other drivers do, right? And especially those drivers that are like on their phone watching YouTube or something and, you know, they're driving and wandering all over the place, you know, or you ever get behind somebody? I, I don't understand. It's because like I can walk and talk at the same time. Some people cannot drive and talk on their phones at the same time. You ever get behind somebody who's talking on their phone? They're like, they're like driving off the road and it's just, it's terrible. So you can't control what other people do. A lot of things in life are beyond our control. And we've got to get to the point where we realize that there are things in our life that the only possibility of solution for them rests in God and God alone. And you have, it, it's beyond us. It's bigger than us. It takes somebody bigger, stronger, more smart, more powerful than us uh, to take care of these things. Um, through the years, uh, I, I can remember at least twice, I've gone through the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. And uh, at least completely. I've used it some other times as well. But I'd like to read a section from My Utmost for His Highest that talks about this. 
And Oswald says this, is there something in your life that not only disturbs you, but makes you a disturbance to others? <laughs> Isn't that a great question? Right? Because a lot of times that's what happens. I mean, things that disturb us make us disturbing. All right? Yeah, some of you are just getting that now. It's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right? If so, it is always something you cannot handle yourself. Be persistent with your disturbance until you get face-to-face -face with the Lord himself. Don't deify common sense. Isn't that interesting? You know, there's so much talk today that science rules. Science doesn't rule. Science changes. God doesn't change. You know? Even common sense isn't always to be trusted. Because the natural can sometimes be overcome by the supernatural. Right? So don't deify common sense. When Jesus asks what we want him to do for us about the incredible problem that's confronting us, remember that he doesn't work in common sense ways, but only in supernatural ways. Look at how we limit the Lord by only remembering what we have allowed him to do for us in the past. We say, I have always failed there, and I always will. Consequently, we don't ask God for what we want. Instead, we think it's ridiculous to ask God to do this. If this is an impossibility, it's the very thing for which we have to ask. And if it is not an impossible thing, it is not a real disturbance. And God will do what is absolutely impossible. This man received his sight. But the most impossible thing for you is to be so closely identified with the Lord that there is literally nothing of your old self remaining. God will do it if you will ask him. But will you come to him to the point of believing to him to be almighty? We find faith not only by believing what Jesus says, but even more by trusting Jesus himself. If we only look at what he says, we will never believe. Once we see Jesus, the impossible things he does in our lives become as natural as breathing. The agony we suffer is only the result of the deliberate shallowness of our own heart. We won't believe, we won't let go by severing that line that, sever that secures the boat to the shore. We prefer to worry. Well, that's good advice, isn't it, by... Oswald Chambers uh, about this idea of asking Jesus for something when the situation is bigger than you. How do you respond to that? So we respond, number two, by believing. You have to believe. you got to believe that Jesus is willing. I mean, those two blind guys, as they're yelling out to Jesus, they're not yelling out to him. They're not saying to each other, well, this probably won't make any difference. They really believe that Jesus could touch them and heal them. They had it in their mind that Jesus could do this. They believed him for who he was. And it's really all about belief. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus comes across, earlier in Matthew's gospel, he comes across some blind guys again. Maybe this is the story that these two blind guys heard about that were sitting outside Jericho. Listen to this in verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, do you believe that Jesus is really able to do the impossible? That's, that's a question that you've got you've to come to terms with. Is Jesus able to do the impossible? And so what's their response? Yes, Lord, they replied, then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. I mean, this is incredible. 
I mean, before, now listen, just so you know, Jesus knows what he can do. But the question comes to you, do you know what Jesus can do? And do you believe he can do it? See, that's, that's, that's the fly in the ointment for this. You might say, well, I know God is, he's, he's infinitely powerful. You might know all the theology. God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnip- um, you know, uh, uh, all, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-being, he's all-seeing, all these things. Well, that's great if you know the theology, but do you know Jesus? Do you know that he can actually do those things? I know he parted the Red Sea, but I don't know about this situation I'm in. You understand? You've got to believe that Jesus can actually do these things. You know, James chapter 1 talks about this. Uh, Jesus' brother, as he writes, and remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. James was a devout Jew, uh, even though he was a believer. And even when he died, <clears throat> the, uh, the Jewish leaders mourned his death. Uh, so, I mean, he was, a, he was a believer. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, but he stayed Jewish uh, in, his, you know, in, in his lifestyle. And, um, and listen to what he says here in verse 2 of chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, James is specifically talking about wisdom, but isn't that how God is with everything? I mean, has God been liberal in how he gives stuff to you? Or is he chintzy? Do we serve a chintzy God? Is he a cheap God? When he gives something, does he give just a little bit of it? I mean, he gives abundantly everything to us. So that that includes those of you who are dumb and you need wisdom. You can even ask him for wisdom and he'll give you wisdom. But I mean, how much else stuff does God do in our lives? When he gives, he doesn't just give a little bit. He gives it a lot. You know what I'm saying? God is faithful. God is able to do great things. We've got to believe that he's a great God and is able to do great things. James goes on. He says this in verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So, see, it's, it's when we ask and we doubt, there's instability in our lives. So, and, and, and listen, a person like that, if a person is unstable in one area of their life, it tends to bleed through all the areas of their life. And so a person who's full of doubt, they you know, they, they know God, they, they understand God, they know about God, they may even believe God, but they doubt it brings instability into your life. And that instability will come out in many different aspects of your life as well. Many of the issues that we struggle with today, a lot of them have to do with this instability because of double-mindedness that people have. And so when you come to God, you've got to believe that he's able to do it. And don't doubt about that. And, and the reason why we doubt, and let, let's, let's, let's be honest, folks. The reason why we doubt is this. See, when you're a new Christian and, and, and you ask Jesus for something, and you don't expect much. And then he gives it to you, and you're like, whoo, that's awesome. Then as you grow in your faith, there are times when you've asked God for things, and the answer hasn't come the way you expected it, right? I mean, sometimes life comes at you hard. And as a believer, it doesn't mean you're exempt from that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, 
the dog bites, the bee stings. It still happens when you're a believer too, right? Those things take place. I mean, last Sunday, Billy was worshiping with his wife right here in the church on Sunday morning. Sunday night, the Lord took her home. Sometimes things happen like that. I mean, how do you even answer that? So pray for Billy. Lift him up this week. He's a good man. He loved his wife. You know? How do you answer when those things happen? Because what happens is bad things happen in our lives. And then we, we think because bad things happen in our lives, we can't ask God for anything else then. Because maybe we don't really trust him. You know? And so, listen, I, I want you to get this. God is able to do all things, great things. It doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you because bad things happen. I mean, sometimes that prayer that you pray, the person doesn't get healed. You know, sometimes, you, you, know, uh, you know, bankruptcy happens. Divorce happens. A child dies. I mean, things happen in life. And so what happens is because of our past, we limit God in the future. And you've got to trust him implicitly in the future, even in things that you don't feel he delivered in the past. Because God has a plan. We all love those verses that says, God works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. But remember, your past, has not God worked all things together for good in your life? Hasn't he? Has there been unanswered prayer in your life that God still worked the better for your good in, in your life? Am I right? And we've got to believe him in the days to come. Because there are still greater things that God desires to do today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day as long as we draw breath. He's there for us. Don't be double-minded. Believe. In Matthew chapter 14, we see a picture of this as the disciples are out in a boat. And they're, they're, they're rowing in a boat and it's sort of a stormy night and everything. And, and there's waves and there's wind and um, there's the disciples in the boat and then Jesus comes out and meets them walking on the water, okay? All right, if you don't know the story, it's a great story to read. So, so Jesus comes out, and they're sort of like freaked out by this. Well, wouldn't you be if somebody walked out to you in a boat? You know? Um, how many of you like walking on top of a frozen lake? I remember one time we, were, we took the students hiking, and it was uh, like January or February, and we crossed over Egypt Meadows Lake up at Promised Land State Park, and uh, the, the lake was frozen, so I went out onto the ice. None of the students would come out. I'm like, I weigh more than all of you. It's holding this carcass up. And so Thomas came out on the ice. He's, he's, he, you know, he's been on a frozen lake before and everything. And, and one by one, the students would be like, be like I mean, it's, it's hilarious. You know, and then finally they realized, wow, you can actually jump on this. You can drive a, an 18-wheeler over a frozen lake. You know what I'm saying? You can drive your truck out there on a frozen lake. And so uh, uh, Jesus, is, he comes walking out on the water to the disciples, and they're freaked out. And then, like, Peter says to him, hey, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come out to you. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right? I mean, if it's not the Lord, he's going to say, hey, come on out here, Peter. <laughs> right? And what kind of a question is that? Sometimes we ask the dumbest questions, right? And so the Lord says, what does he say here in verse 29? Come, he said. So he says, Peter, yeah, come on out, Peter. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, so it isn't like he just walked out in the water and began to sink. I mean, he literally started walking over to Jesus because Jesus kept his distance from them for a purpose and for a reason. And so Peter starts walking, and then all of a sudden he takes his eyes off Jesus, and what does he do? Verse 30, when he saw the, the wind and was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, uh, isn't it something that Jesus didn't see him? Just let him go down. Serves you right. <laughs> Swim back to the boat, Peter. No, no, no. He reached down and grabbed him. And, and he says, to, and, and sometimes people think that he's rebuking Peter. He's not rebuking him at all. He said to him, you, know, you have a little faith. And it doesn't take much faith, does it? It just takes a little. In fact, Jesus said if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed. So, I mean, do you have a mustard seed amount of faith in your life, guys? Do you have a mustard seed size faith? But he did say to Peter, hey, you have a little faith, but why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And, you know, man, the Lord has asked that to me so many times. Because I believe, but there's sometimes there's some doubt that's still there. You know, and so we don't need to doubt when it's God. Because, you know, live or die, God's got the outcome. He's there for us. He's going to get us through, no matter what the case is. Right? The definition of faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where I love this. It starts out and says, now faith, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It's not yesterday's faith. It's not last year's faith. It's not the faith I had when I got saved. It's now. My faith is current. It's now. It's for today. The working of God is not just for the past. It's for now. It's for today. It's not about the future. It's not about what's coming. It's about what's here. God is moving right now, right here, right in this moment. Our faith is now faith. It's for today, uh, June, whatever it is, uh, 2021. Uh, it's for today. It's not tomorrow's faith. It's today's faith. It's what you need for right now. And what is it? Faith is shown in Hebrews chapter 11. You can read through that whole chapter, the, 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 the hall of faith. And, and it's all about what people did, their actions. Faith produces actions. It's an action word. Now, that's what they say. Actions speak louder than words. Faith, if it doesn't come out in action, it's not really faith. You can say, well, I got a lot of faith. If you don't do anything, it doesn't mean anything. And so it's there. And there's a connection between our faith and belief. Uh, five verses later in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, there's this connection between belief and faith. Now, this belief is not just a mental understanding. It goes beyond a mental understanding. A lot of people, a lot of Christians think, well, I know theology, so I'm good. It's not just about what you know. It's about what you are. It goes beyond just knowing. And it be begins to, to sort of come to a, a DNA level in us. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3. He meets with a guy who is a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. His name is Nicodemus. He is a great man. He's a man of, of, uh, of religion. He's a, he's a Jew. He's a teacher, a leader. He is a, an incredible guy. And, but he's also, he's intrigued by Jesus because he knows that Jesus is a rabbi, but Jesus isn't like the other rabbis. 
because the other rabbis all just talk. But Jesus actually does stuff. And so that's what they said. He's like somebody who has authority to be able to do things. And so listen, if the Jesus you know is just a Jesus who says stuff, you don't really know Jesus. Because the real Jesus is a God of action. All right? He does things. In John chapter 3, he, he does this, and he brings up this story. It's one of the most disturbing stories from the Old Testament. You know, where the children of Israel are, they're wandering through the wilderness, and they begin to complain. And they begin to complain against God. They begin to complain against uh, Moses, you know, the leadership. They begin to complain about everything. They're just this miserable people wandering in the wilderness. And so God sends snakes among them. And the snakes are venomous, and they begin to be bitten by these snakes, and people are dying. And so Moses goes to the Lord, and, and the Lord tells Moses, hey, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a stick up high so that if people can get to it and they look at this snake that's hanging on a stick, they'll live. Does that disturb anybody else? I mean, why not just get rid of the snakes? You know, where's St. Patrick when you need him? You know? I mean, you know, not that St. Patrick didn't rid Ireland of snakes. Anyway, anyway, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a myth. But, I mean, does that not disturb anybody? I mean, the people are still getting bitten by the snakes. And so what they have to do is they have to continue to just make their way and get through the crowd and then go and look at the serpent. I mean, can you imagine some guy who got bit three or four times in one day? He's got he's to make his way to that serpent and, like, get through. You know, there's a tree in the way. Oh, I looked. Oh, there it is. Oh, I feel better. Okay. And he goes back, gets bit again, has to come back again. I mean, isn't that disturbing to anybody? And that's the story Jesus uses to talk about himself in John chapter 3. And so he meets Nicodemus, and it's really, it's really, it's an interesting story. And we, we use this verse all the time, and we sometimes forget about what it's all about. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, just like the serpent was raised up, you had to actually go and get to it. You had to physically get yourself to a place where you could see the serpent on the stick. And the same is true with Jesus. It's not just about knowing, why. Well, I know he's God. I know he died on the cross. It goes beyond that. There's a searching and a seeking and a drawing. And this morning, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to give a prophetic word, but I really sensed that the Holy Spirit was saying to us that he was looking for us to, 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 to launch into the deep, to go into the deep, to not stay in the surface. And so many believers just stay in the surface level, and they forget that there's a deeper place that God is calling them to. You've got to seek after him. You've got to search after him. You've got to dig into him. He's not easy to find. You might say, well, a child can know him. Yes, they can. But a child, a child doesn't know what, what, what somebody like my age knows because I've dug after him. I've sought after him. And I, there's still more for me to learn. There's still deeper water I haven't gotten into yet. And God is calling us to go after him. That's what he's saying here in John chapter 3. Not just some verse that we can wear in a stadium and so people know we're a believer. You know, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's more than just this. And that's where verse 16 comes in. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. It's not just a mental understanding. They've sought him out. They're seeking him on a daily basis. 
I've got to go find, because listen, there's plenty of snakes still biting us in our lives, isn't there? There's plenty of snakes still biting at my feet. I've got to get myself to look at the cross and find my life. It's there. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You know, I wonder, like last Sunday, it was, you know, uh, Craig Sterling, as he ministered here, it's interesting. And I didn't say anything to him about this, but I, he was really, he, he was, he did a good job preaching, didn't he? Did you guys like Craig last week? Yeah. So uh, somebody called to get a report on him this week, one of his one of his leaders. And I said, Craig did a great job. And they said, well, sometimes it's hard for him to connect with people because of his accent. I said, our people loved him. If there's something different about you, the people can't love you. You know what I mean? Because we're all different. You know what I mean? So, like, there's something different about you. You fit in real well here. And so Craig fit in well. And he did a great job. And, and, and um, But, you know, there was actually some folks that got offended at his message. Because he, he, he was talking about, you know, about really serving, about serving in the church. I didn't say anything to him about this. I'm, a, I'm after as a pastor saying, wow, this guy's doing great. <laughs> you know, he's really pounding on serving in the church. Sometimes it's offensive to people. But you got to, listen, you got to serve in the kingdom. You know, serving, I'm glad you're here, but serving in the kingdom doesn't mean attending church. You understand? It goes beyond that. I'm not against attending church. Please continue. Okay? All right? So don't take that the wrong way. But there's more. God always calls us to something more, something deeper, something bigger. It's there for us, right? And so in this, there's the place of the word of God for our faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that's why we fill ourselves with the word of God. It always blows me away when people say, well, I, I don't have time to... Uh, you know, to do the Bible app with you. Yes, you do. Check your phone. Let your, let your phone tell you each week, right? My phone tells me each week what my average screen time is for the day, for a day. Anybody else get that? Yeah, I know. Some of you, it's only like five, ten minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, if you have a flip phone. <laughs> Does anybody still have a flip phone? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, that's good. Right, maybe in a drawer somewhere, but I mean, you know, you're spending an hour, two, three, four hours on on your screen every. You have time for ten minutes in the Word of God. I mean, seriously, you know, we've had some great discussion in our Bible app uh, that we we do together, and we'll be doing a new one uh, here in another week or so. So look look for your invitation for that as well. Um, but there's also a place not just for the Word of God, but also for the Spirit of God. We talked about this through the month of May, where Jude in verse twenty says, "But you." Uh, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is how we build up our faith, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. And so show me a believer who's weak. Show me a believer who's struggling. I'll show you a believer who's not building themselves up in the Word of God, and they're not praying in the Spirit. Because a believer who builds himself up in the Word and prays in the Spirit is going to be strong. It's going to happen. You're going to be strong. Because your, your, your faith is being built up. You know, from the Word of God, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the logos of the Word building you up, and then the Spirit of God uh, building your faith as well. And, uh, man, that's, that's how our faith is built, all right? Um, so let's talk about one other blind guy here, Bartimaeus. 
in Luke chapter 18. Now, this may be one of the two that Matthew talks about. We're not really sure. It could be. It couldn't be necessarily. Um, Luke may focused on Bartimaeus specifically because of something that Bartimaeus did. But in Luke chapter 18, it takes a little different approach on this. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he, re he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let me ask you this question. How much faith do you think Bartimaeus actually had? I mean, how much faith? I mean, did he go to Sunday school every week? Did he, did he attend church services? Every, no. He may have went to a synagogue. Did they ever talk about Jesus? Did he have Christian radio playing in his car when he was driving? Did he have the Bible app on his phone? Did he have Right Now Media streaming into his house? Did he have, um, you know, a Bible in every room in his house? Is, is that? I mean, this guy had nothing, and yet, he had such faith to believe that Jesus could heal his blindness. Why is it that there are folks who have been bombarded with the gospel for years and years and years and years, and we struggle to believe that Jesus can do the impossible? I mean, I've heard more preaching than, than, than most folks in the world ever get to hear. Some of you have sat under ministry for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30. You're theolo you have more theology than most pastors do in the third world. We, why do we struggle believing that God is able to do something incredible? Isn't God able? Either he is or he isn't. Either God is great or he's not. Either he's an awesome God or he's not an awesome God. It can't be both. I want to believe that God is able to do anything, whatever the impossibility is. He's a God of the impossible. He's incredible. He's an awesome God. And, you know, when, when, I remember when Desert Storm happened and when, when we, you know, we went after Iraq and that, and we, it was called shock and awe. Remember that? Shock and awe. And, uh, you know, what was the last time you were in shock or in awe from God? When was the last time God did something that was so shocking to you that it just made you go, whoa. Well, I know God is big, and God is able, and God is an awesome. We say that, like, our God is an awesome God. When was the last time you felt awestruck by God? If, it, if, you can't, if you can't think when it was, man, you have not gotten close enough to God that you need to be. Because God is awesome. He's incredible. And so let's look to him for more. Finally, the third thing is trust. So, yeah, we have to know this beyond us. And we've got to believe. We've got to actually believe that God can do what he says he can do. And then thirdly, we've got to trust him. Because sometimes, and this is what Oswald Chambers talks about, sometimes, you know, we, we look at the past and we sort of hold God back because of things that have happened in the past in our lives. Well, I was trusting God, but then this happened. It was bad. And so I can't trust him anymore. Oh, no, no, no. Did God not take care of you through that? Of course he did. So you can still trust him. Habakkuk talks about this at the end of the Old Testament there. Uh, you know, Habakkuk living in a time when, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a glorious time for Israel. And Habakkuk is a prophet. And in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, he, he gives this incredible 
picture of God being our strength. And so, and this is interesting, okay? So this prophet Habakkuk um, gives these verses out um, to encourage people who are going to go through tough times. And they did. They went through tough times. And listen, I don't know what the next year looks like here in the United States, but I will say this. There's going to be tough times. You know what I'm saying? I mean, a building collapses in Miami. You know, there's storms. There's crazy storms. It's 112 degrees in Seattle today. What in the world? I mean, it's just crazy things happening. And, the you know, you go to the, the price of food is going through the roof. Gas has gone through the roof. Uh, you know, uh, building materials has gone through. I mean, you know, listen, everything, it's just crazy. At the same time, listen, I want you to know that no matter what goes on, what shaking takes place in this world, there is still a rock that we can depend on. There is still a God who is all-powerful. And Habakkuk talks about this as in this chapter 3 of his book, and he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The reality is, listen, when we really put our faith and our trust in Christ, the outcome is up to God in everything. Whether we live or whether we die, it's his choice. It's his call. And he is going to take care of us either way. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You understand? So there's nothing, I mean, between living and dying, that includes a lot of stuff. So there's nothing that takes place in our lives that God is not going to be our strength in, that God is not going to answer with power and with glory. In Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew children, what do they do? They're, you know, they're, they're, face, they're between a rock and a hard place. Do they bow their knee to the, to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar has set up? Do they do what everybody else is doing? Or do they stand for God? And so what do they do? They chose not to bow. They get brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And what, what's their response? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 16 replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, in other words, if you kill us, we're still not going to bow. What do they say? Because they know they're going to be delivered from it? No, they have no idea. They think they're going to be tossed into the furnace, they're going to die. All right? The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, they're willing to trust God in the midst of all of that, no matter what the outcome is. All right? So what would your response to Jesus be if he asked you, what do you want me to do for you? What have you been asking him for lately? I'm not talking about the winning lottery ticket. You know, I'm not talking about that. You know, um, you know, something that's that's going to be here today, gone tomorrow, whatever. I'm not talking about those kind. What are you asking? What are you asking God for? What is it that if Jesus was to come to you face to face and to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? I'm not talking about three wishes here. I'm not talking about some genie in a bottle. I'm talking about if Jesus comes and says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask him to do? Bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we finish this up here today. I mean, that question, you've got to come to it. You've got to wrestle with that, your own self here, folks.
you got to come to a place you understand it. And so, you know, what do you, what would you say? I mean, Lord, I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. I need healing. I need strength. I need this impossible situation. I need victory in it. I need guidance. I need comfort. I need assurance. What is this that you would ask Jesus to do for you? Because the reality is this. You don't have to open your eyes and look in the aisle. He's not in the aisle standing there with his arms extended to you, but in your spirit, he's there with you right now. And he asks you, what would you have me to do for you? So what is your response to him today? What is your response to him today? What is that situation that's been impossible? Do you believe he can actually do it? I want you to know the answer is yes. My God is able. My God is able to do whatever it is that's plaguing you today, that's troubling you today, that's disturbing you today. God is bigger than that issue, than that problem in your life. God is bigger than those things that are up against in your life that you think you cannot get through. God is greater than those things. Do you believe him? So if that's you here today, you say, you know what, Jesus, I... I know you're standing in front of me. You're asking me, what do you want me to do for you? Are you willing to ask him for something great? Are you willing to ask him for that impossible thing? If that's you this morning, as an act of faith, stand right where you're at. And in your spirit, say to him, Jesus, right now, if you can, would you? The blind man said, we want to be healed. We want to restore, have our sight restored. Would you ask him right now, right where you're at, Jesus, would you do, and you fill in the blanks right now. Jesus, could you possibly, and you fill in the blanks right now. And I want you to know, God is greater. God is able. He's powerful. He's still on the throne. He's the one who still holds all things together by the authority of his word in our lives. And he can deliver, and he can save, and he can restore, and he can fill, and he can do what is necessary in your life right now. Jesus, right now, that's if maybe you need to even voice it out to him. Go right ahead and do that. Whatever you need to do to make it right with him right now. To say, Jesus, it's you. I, I ask you for this right now, Lord. This is impossible. It's beyond me. I can't control it in my own self. I don't have the ability. I don't have the authority. I don't have the wherewithal. I'm not big enough. But Jesus, you're big enough. You're great enough. You're more powerful than I am. You can do that which is impossible. There are things that people have spoken over you. Maybe a doctor has spoken something over you right now and you feel like it's a death sentence. I want you to know Jesus can deliver you from that right this moment, right now, in your life. That there are impossible situations in your life, in your family, in your work, in the place you dwell. And Jesus can change them in a moment right now. Do you believe him that he can do that? Do you believe that he can do that in your life? Do you trust him to do that in your life? Is your God big enough to do this? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. For some of you, you haven't asked anything big from God for years. 
I want you to know it's like riding a bike. Just get back on it. Begin to pedal. Believe him. God could do that, which is impossible because we serve an awesome, awesome God. Mighty God. He's able to do it right now. That's it. Just release and say, Jesus, this is what I need. This is what I need. Then do you believe? I believe he's answering, he's answering that for many of you right now. It says he touched their eyes and they were able to see. For some of you right now, there's something that's changed right now in your life. Right now, physically in your life, there's something that's changed. You can sense a difference. That go, all of a sudden, the wind has shifted direction in your life. You can sense that something different has happened. For some of you, it might be something physical. Right now, you see that there's something physically different in your body right now. <clears throat> Others, it might be, I, I, I sense a shift that's taken place. A shift that's taken place. Come on, we believe right now. Jesus, we believe right now that you could do that. You could do that in our lives, Jesus. You're bigger. You're greater. We have faith in you, and we believe you can do this right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, give us some shock and awe in our lives. Come upon us with shock and awe. Lord, may we be shocked by what you do. May we be in awe of what you do in our lives right now. May we be the ones who would also, like Bartimaeus, when, when he got his sight back, he began to praise God, and it said everybody else around him began to praise God too. Lord, may we be so full of awe from you that, Jesus, we, are, we share it in such a way that other people praise God because of what you've done in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That's right. The Holy Spirit is moving right now, even here in this place right now. There, there are some of you, you didn't ask for this, but there's some physical things in your bodies right now that God is touching right this moment. Right this moment, because the Holy Spirit is moving. This is not. This has not uh, been whipped up by people, but God is moving right now to change things in people's lives. There's shoulders right now that the Holy Spirit is just opening up right this moment. Just raise that hand up and sense the difference that's there. You're able to move your arm in a way you haven't been able to move it through with no pain. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit has done that right now. Jesus has touched you. <clears throat> Amen. The Holy Spirit's also moving. God is moving. Jesus is touching uh, people in their knees right now. There's some knees that right now he's touching them. There's a warmth that's coming into that knee. You, you, you've never experienced that before. It's, it's actually the power of God touching that knee right now. What are you going to believe him for today, folks? What are you going to believe him for? What is he able to do in your life? Man, my God is able to. He spoke the worlds into existence. He can sure speak what you need to existence in your life. He's grace. He's grace. He's able. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. It's just wonderful just to just, just be in his presence. Pastor Heather said earlier today, it's just the peace that comes from that is so incredible. May you minister that peace in the lives of those who feel unpeaceful right now. May you answer that. Lord, would you grant me peace? Experience his peace right now. Let it, let his peace just reign in your heart and in your life. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for asking us the question, Lord. What do you want me to do for you? Thank you. Thanks for you being willing. For being willing to touch our hearts and our lives. Thanks for noticing us. Who are we that you're mindful of us? We're thankful that you are, though. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We praise you. Lift you up. Glorify you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We haven't done this song in a while. Let's do this song together, though, as we finish up here today. Um, We know that God is an awesome God, right? Let's just raise it up. Come on, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes, truly you are awesome, Lord. You're an awesome God. You're awesome, Lord. Thank you for answering our prayers today, Lord. Help us to go forward in power and strength and mercy. Lord, may we answer prayers to people as well as they turn to us. May they worship you as they see what you have done in our lives. May we be that answer to prayer for them. They may want to know that there's somebody that you've touched. Lord, may we be the ones who show them that, yes, God is still willing. He's still able. He's still powerful. He's still on the throne. And what he did for us, he can do for someone else as well. So bless them, Lord, through us, and bless us, Lord, in you. And Jesus, and raise your hands up. I want to pray a blessing on you today before you go. It's been good to be in his house today. Spend time with him. Jesus, bless your people now. Lord, as you have moved in us, as you have uh, freely given to us, Lord, now, Lord, may we go and freely give as well. Lord, I pray that you would give it to us, Lord, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Lord, so that we might be uh, able to share with the world around us, Lord, the blessings that you have poured into our lives and into our hearts. We thank you for your faithfulness. Use each one now mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Lord, bless you folks. Have an awesome, awesome day.